0: Welcome to Coffee and Contemplation. I'm Robin. I'm Heidi. And today, we delve into Stranger Things 2 and introduce ourselves. (music) Greetings and welcome back, or if you're new here, welcome. This is a Stranger Things Rewatch podcast, and I wanted to take this, this brief pause before we begin to... Introduce ourselves a little bit more. We got, we were so excited about season one. We kind of just jumped in and we didn't really stop and kind of give some context for what we were going to be doing. I mean, we did a little bit. I kind of introed and said, like, you know, we love this show, but yeah. we, we didn't really give a lot of. Indication for who we are and what our perspective actually is. I think if if you, dear listener, have been listening along all this time, then you probably picked up some things that we've alluded to. Context clues about, like, what our personalities are like. I'm a video editor. I work in ed tech. But we haven't really established it. All that clearly. So we want to go ahead and do that. Just you know, and especially if you're new here, then this would be a good place to to let you know just what you're in for. And especially as we move forward. So to start off with, I'm Robin, and I work as a video editor for a, a small media production company in the Maryland, DC, Virginia area. And I have a lot of experience both in like commercial video work, but also in filmmaking mm-hmm. on independent film sets and working as script supervisor. As a, I, I never actually got like paid to be a script doctor but i have done a lot of that i also self-published a ya fantasy novel in 2017 it's called resistance rising a genre wars novel and it's available on amazon ebook and paperback so i have a pretty broad creative background
1: how about you so I'm Heidi. Once again, I work in um, creating curriculum. I have a lot of background in online academia and curriculum production. My bachelor's and master's are in English, so I have you know an overwhelming passion for literature. So one of the things that I think make our conversation so interesting and so fun is my primary focus, my basis for enjoying things, is literature, and yours is film, but. You also love literature, and I also love film. Um, There's a lot of cross-pollination, especially in the, Mm -hmm. you know, mid to late 20th and, and 21st centuries. I mean, I know I love talking to you about film stuff because you help me appreciate things on a completely different level. You know, and me taking everything as text... I think it makes our conversations interesting because you're seeing a lot of layers where I'm, and this is not a criticism of myself, I'm kind of smushing everything together into like one thing, Mm -hmm. whereas you see many, many things Mm -hmm. and they're both valid. And that's what makes it cool. I'll say, I can see, you know, I can see what they were going for
0: here. Yeah. And, and you can say like, but this was the end result. Right. Uh, very often that either comes to, and they really executed it. It worked, it translates, mm-hmm. or it doesn't. And here's why. And kind of to that point, the sort of genesis of this podcast really was that we had wanted, we have a lot of these
1: discussions, like, all the time anyway. Like, Might this... as well put the mic on. <laughs> exactly. And so another aspect of me coming from a literature background And me kind of looking at you know quote unquote everything is text is i'll be looking at things through a certain framework and there's also there's personal enjoyment framework but also if i'm looking at something for critical analysis i'm going to be saying okay like What is the worldview? What are the morals? What are the, what's the ethos of this text? Coming from a very strong feminist background, that tends to be like a really core portion of my analysis. And I think it's really interesting to talk about pop culture with a feminist lens, partly because you see things that are uncomfortable, but also you get the opportunity to tease things out that are really, really cool and interesting and empowering that you might have just kind of taken for granted if you weren't looking from a specifically feminist lens. Just so that we, uh, you know, and our and our listeners are on the same page, mm. how do you define this feminist lens? A great definition of feminism that I think is like really short, sweet, to the point is from Chimimanda Ngozi Adiche's TED Talk that is titled uh, We Should All Be Feminists. It's also available as a little book. And um, pretty much everybody has heard this definition because it was in a Beyonce song, which is awesome i love the song i love everything about that so the definition of a feminist is a person who believes in the social economic and political equality of the sexes and i will just add a little addendum that means all sexes not just two so that's a little bit about like sort of our
0: intellectual perspectives and kind of what we do for a living and kind of how that applies here but just as kind of like a little fun aside i thought it might be might be worthwhile to include a little bit about like our our hobbies so i think it's pretty clear we're both writers yes yeah um (laughs) but also i i'm actually a cosplayer something that i didn't include in my in the uh finale of the first season of stranger things is that i have cosplayed as steve harrington before and i'm and it was awesome (laughs) and then also i'm as of this recording i'm also very close
1: to being done with a max mayfield How about you? What are some of your hobbies? So, also writing. I am pretty much always working on something or daydreaming about something or bugging Robin about like, hey, do you think this would work? I also am a ballroom dancer. I have recently got into sewing. That was kind of like my quarantine. Instead of teaching myself how to make sourdough bread, I kind of got into sewing and I want to start like making my own clothes and um, definitely like repairing my clothes as as they needed and, and that kind of thing. And specifically, I'm really into like the vintage aesthetic and into like vintage silhouettes and clothes making. I don't know that I could ever really see myself you know, hand sewing an entire early 19th century gown, but like, I love watching other people do it on YouTube and I love learning about historical costuming. And I love, I really, really love the community of vintage style, not vintage values, because I think that like cultivating your own personal style and talking back to the mainstream as regards like fast fashion and and all of that is like a really, really great way to be joyfully radical. And I just, I admire that so much, and I think it's awesome. What I think's interesting is that you and I are both very much into clothing, in -hmm. a way, but
0: I would say even, like, borderline costume Mm -hmm. stuff, but from very different
1: perspectives, which is not unlike how we approach this podcast. I recently got into BTS. They did this uh, sort of the variety show thing during quarantine where they go out, like, hang out in this, like, really beautiful house in the middle of the woods. And one of the things that they did was they put together this, like, massive Stranger Things Lego set. I actually really love Legos. Well, and I was like, is that a Stranger Things Lego? So I immediately looked it up because I was like, I'm buying it. It's massively expensive. However, it is possible that at some point in the future, we may end up with footage of me putting together Stranger Things Legos. So all in all, we're both extremely creative people, but
0: from a very, like, nerdy intellectual standpoint, mm-hmm. that's really the vibe you're going to get from us. On that note, I wanted to briefly go over our history with Stranger Things. So, Heidi, mm-hmm. what is your history with Stranger Things?
1: You know, I don't remember how exactly I became aware of the series or stumbled across it, or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and then as soon as the the season trailer... Dropped for Stranger Things too. I was like, "This is going to be my jam," and then it was. By all accounts,
0: I should not like this show. I think I watched the trailer a couple times and just went, "This is not for me." I'm not into horror. I've read maybe one Stephen King novel. I am technically a millennial, but I was born at the end of the '80s, so I really consider myself more of a '90s kid than I do an '80s kid because that's really where more of my nostalgia comes from. But I remember I had a number of friends go. You have to watch the show. And I remember being surprised by the people telling me that because I had a lot of people do that with me with Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Unpopular opinion. I'm not a fan of Game of Thrones. That's not an unpopular opinion anymore. Well, okay. But at the time, it really was. Yeah. And it just didn't, it wasn't my thing. And it was, maybe it is really well made, but in the, in service of what? And that's something we explore a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my question with Stranger Things. When one of my friends, I believe it was my friend Jess, said, these these child actors are age-appropriate and they are incredible. And then also she said the characterization work. You will appreciate how this thing is made. And I think maybe what she was picking up on at the time is that Stranger Things, while it is, it is a lot of horror tropes structurally, and you can agree or disagree on this, it really is more fantasy than it is... Horror.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that would probably be a controversial statement in some circles. But I actually agree with you because I am not a horror person. And I think some of the things that work our nerves a little bit are things that are more horror that feel discordant to us because we don't like horror and because we do like the other elements of the show that are not based in horror, that are based in, like, adventure or coming of age or fantasy, like, any of the numerous genres that Stranger Things dabbles in.
0: Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to give this three episodes. By the time it got to the title sequence, I was like, I'm in. I'm completely in. And I did not expect that. I was very surprised. And so here we are all these years later doing a podcast about it. So that's a little bit about us and about our perspective, our background, and about how we ended up here. I want to just... Kind of go back and revisit some wrap-up thoughts, takeaways from season one. Um, We touched on this a little bit at the end of The Upside Down, Chapter 8, The Upside Down, but we didn't really invest a whole lot of time in that because I think, you know, by that point we were... We we're at the end and we didn't want to belabor the point, but before we proceed, let's kind of get a sense of where we we're at coming into season 2. Mm. So, so revisit some of the some of our thoughts from the end of season 1, but also talk a little bit more in detail about that Comic-Con trailer. It was the first thing we saw of anything for season 2 and I I mentioned that at the end of The Upside Down because it was such a big deal for me mm-hmm. as a viewer as a fan and it still continues to be. So, and I actually think it's a lot more relevant to the discussion we will proceed to have. But let's just start with with some season with season 1 wrap up. So, I was surprised as far as the podcast is concerned at the direction a lot of our conversation took. I didn't think we would talk nearly as much about the high schoolers as we did. I thought the bulk of our conversation, the majority of our conversation would be
1: about the kids. There's there's more to debate when it comes to the teenagers. The kids, you know, they have that argument, and we did cover that pretty extensively, but the high schoolers are the ones that, like, they're really messy, and I don't even mean that as a criticism of either the characters or the writing of the characters, you know, except for the decisions we talked about that we don't like, but they're they're most teenager-like, so there is going to be a lot to talk about and to analyze and, and dive into there, whereas the kids are... Kids and Joyce and Hopper are already fully fledged adults, so they have their sense of identity is always already pretty well established. Coming from getting my degrees in the humanities and academia, there there definitely is a danger when you're doing a lot of really, really close reading, a lot of really close analysis to lose sight of the forest for the trees. And that's one of the reasons that I did not end up pursuing a career in academia, because I think academia can get a little bit too much. um, You know, you're trying to do a living dissection. It doesn't serve any purpose. Mm -hmm. But I think that I was surprised, not necessarily by how much we were able to say positive and by how much we were able to tease out that didn't work or that we didn't like. Because I really, really like the show. I know you really, really like the show. And absolutely no show ever made is perfect. There's always room for constructive criticism. So yeah, I was really happy
0: with our balance. Picking up on that too, I think there is a tendency in the fandom and just I think in general to overpraise season one. As this work of genius, but you know, with very little wrong with it, and I don't think that that's fair. Yeah, I think there is much of season one that could have been better. What is great about this show is that I do think you can see visible effort in all three seasons. You know, they do take chances, and season one in and of itself was one massive risk. And I don't think you could really repeat season one of Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. I don't think
1: anything could have come as close to what that was. Season one was so unexpected and so innovative. And so I think it would be very difficult to kind of live up to that level of innovation.
0: And it was also released like filmmaking, audience watching climate that was very different from when season two dropped. It Mm -hmm. was it was among Netflix's First original shows, you know, I think they had produced a few other things before that, but it was certainly the biggest step forward in that game. Right. You know, Amazon did not have original content, as I recall by that point. And if it did, it certainly wasn't common knowledge yet. Mm -hmm. It also was kind of the first of its kind in that way. Yeah, that's that's quite true. And I think that that's kind of why I like the second season so much, is that you can see where they did repeat certain things plot-wise, structure-wise, but I also think that they didn't just carbon copy
1: it. I haven't seen that criticism, so to be fair, I think one thing that's actually kind of cool going into the second season is that I did not see any kind of, like, hate just for want of a better term regarding season two i just didn't Mm -hmm. see it and and you kind of did so like but both of us really love season two although apparently that might be a somewhat controversial opinion i don't know i'm operating as if it's not but yeah that was something that was like it hadn't even occurred to me this is genre fiction all genre fiction ends the same Every romance novel ends the same. Every alien invasion movie ends the same. Like, this is what you're
0: here for. Yeah,
1: or at least has a lot of the same
0: conventions. Right. And don't get me wrong. I do remember there being a lot of positive feedback as well. Mm -hmm. But I remember being surprised by just how much negative feedback there was. And then how much that got echoed when season three basically came out because it was people were comparing the two. And Mm. how can you not do that? But it reminded me a lot of what a lot of the negative feedback was. When Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix Came out, you know, there'd been all this Anticipation, it was one of the first times in a long Time that there had been this Massive wait, and it certainly was The first time in a long time, like even longer Probably that it had that much pop culture Attention focused on it Everyone was reading it at the time I was moving, I remember I got the book and I read a few chapters But then I couldn't, for want of a better term Binge read it, I Mm -hmm. had to take it Very slowly and only read it You know, piecemeal pretty much I think that had a significant impact on my experience of the book at the time, because I remember so many other people that I talked to, friends were talking about how it was not what they'd waited two years for. It was just, Mm. it didn't live up to their expectations. And I think because those expectations had gestated over the course of a long period of time, there was no way it could meet that. And I would say general discourse about the series has changed over time. Mm -hmm. I think people have been able to see past a lot of those expectations and can see the value in a lot of Harry's PTSD, for example. And I actually think that there's a lot in common between Order of the Phoenix and season two of Stranger Things. Common elements of PTSD. Season two does not
1: go, Will is perfectly fine. Right. I think it just bears repeating. I think we've said it multiple times, but I think it bears repeating every time that I'm still a fan of Harry Potter, but I am not a fan of J.K. Rowling. Mm -hmm. Again, I did not experience that kind of, you know, backlash that you saw. But I think that the other parallel that can be made here, in Order of the Phoenix, you have this terrible, terrible thing that happened. There's this core group of people that know that it happened and they know it was real, but the wider community is just either in denial or actively hostile to this information becoming public. And I think that that Very same thing happens in Stranger Things, too. You have this core group of people who know exactly what went down. And then you have, like, the larger power structure is just not interested in addressing it or even interested in, like, actively suppressing this information. And I'm projecting, I'm guessing, etc. Maybe one reason that folks were a little bit, especially younger people, were a little bit uncomfortable with Mm. Order of the Phoenix is because they thought you would go directly from the kind of confrontation at the end of Goblet of Fire Almost really to Deathly Hollows, where there's this like open yes. warfare and it just society just does not work that 100%. way. 100%. And possibly one of the reasons that the second season is also one of my favorites is that I really, really like the depiction of that struggle of someone who is battling with their PTSD, trying to make a positive change, not knowing how to do it, coming up against all of these roadblocks. I find that very valuable and very meaningful.
0: Yeah, and that doesn't just go for will. Multiple characters in season 2 are dealing with that. So, my goal with reviewing season 2 is going to be largely to give it some love and to really dig into why I think it's better than than some folks give it credit for, including but not limited to defending the inclusion of Bob, Max, Billy, and why in my opinion, they are successful additions to the new, to the character roster and even get a bit controversial over my opinion of the Lost Sister episode. I actually don't hate it, <laughs> but we'll get there when we get there.
1: I think our opinions on season two are probably going to be pretty similar. So on the whole, I I do still want to continue with honest critique. I don't want to ignore problematic
0: aspects of the show. I want to pay attention to that, as we have done, but I also really want to throw some love its way. Yeah, same. So, that Comic-Con trailer. Mm-hmm. This is the one, this was the first trailer that dropped all the way back in July of 2017. It was just perfectly deployed piece of marketing. I've I've always enjoyed Thriller, but hearing it in that context, along with the way the song was mixed and edited for mm. the promo, it actually made it sound ominous and scary rather than just like the fun Halloween dance anthem that I feel like it's most
1: known for being, at least in my, my experience of it. Yeah, not mine. When I was probably under 10, but not by too much, and it must have been some, like, sort of anniversary or something of Thriller coming out. And my mom was all excited to watch it with me because, I mean, reasons. Like, Thriller was a groundbreaking video and mm-hmm. it's amazing and, you know, all the things. We also don't like MJ anymore, but, you know. So she was really excited to share it with me. And I- got so scared multiple Aww. times. I am not a horror movie person. But we had to, like, stop and and start, like, a bunch of different times. Because there's, like, zombies and stuff. Yeah. And, like, Michael Jackson turns into a zombie. And, like, I was, no. I thought he was cool. I thought he was, like, the date. What are we doing? So we had to stop. And Mom had to, like, explain to me oh, okay. that, like, it, this is just for fun. It's gonna be okay. And then I remember being so irritated. Because right at the very end, when MJ turns around and he's got the like the weird eyes mm-hmm. because it's like you know we have the everything's okay we're we're going right. home it's it's all over now and then yeah. he turns and i was like mom yeah
0: <laughs> you <know>? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love to roller skate, so I've been to a Roller Rink many times. Oh, that'd be it, great. It is a fantastic song to skate to. You know, they turn the lights down and they turn up the disco lights. Like, it's, yes. it really is. And I, and I remember the first time that happened, I went, oh, I can see why this was such a big hit, like, in clubs and, you know, mm-hmm. for, for dancers. Because it, it is such a mood. Like, it yeah. really, really is. So I think I've thought of it musically. But I just... With this trailer, it was just the way it's utilized. It really... The second season is set during Halloween. Mm -hmm. So it's it's perfect. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's very timely. And so as a result of that, like, the trailer really did evoke a pretty convincing sense of dread. Totally draws... It drew me in. Still does. It evokes concern for the characters without scaring you off Mm -hmm. at the same time. Because I do think that's a pretty good balance. And, I mean, for me... While I was invested more than I realized at that point, I don't know that if it had seemed too scary, I might not have given it a try right away. Mm. But because it it hit just
1: the right pitch, it was like, oh, no, I I have to watch this. It does evoke a sense of scary things are happening. Mm -hmm. But what it evokes a lot more is a sense of spiraling out of control. It re-establishes, like, how much you care about these people. Like, I'm thinking about Nancy. I'm thinking about Joyce. I'm thinking about Will. Even the way that it opens, like, before we get into, you know, Thriller with, like, with the kids playing that video game. It's like, hey, remember these people? Remember how much you care about them? Well, they are about, to, like, shit is getting real. Mm-hmm. So the kind of impulse that you have as you were watching that trailer is that you want to reach through the screen and, like, help. So it's, it's not focused so much on... Look at this monster. It's super scary. There is a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. It's more like we're seeing Will and something's wrong with Will and scary things are happening to the people that we care about and they're not able to control it. And it teases just the right amount of new material. It
0: provides only glimpses of Bob, Max, Billy, not to mention the mind flare. Mm -hmm. Plus, it doesn't include Kali at all. Yeah. Which, on one hand, seems not great, but I do think it was the right move ultimately because by not showing Kali, it allows the absolutely brilliant opening sequence of Mad Max to take a lot of viewers by
1: pleasant surprise. And I know that there was a second trailer, but, I mean, everybody I know was so hyped about the Comic-Con trailer that, like, we just watched that on loop. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and more than anything,
0: though, I think, and this is why I think it ultimately is really important and warrants our talking about it, is that I actually think it summarizes the second season really well. doesn't just tease it. It actually s- serves as a summary. It indicates... Right from the jump and remains throughout that this season will dwell on the trauma of season one Mm -hmm. from an emotional standpoint. As I mentioned, Will isn't just back to normal. Yeah, he's going to get possessed, but he's also struggling emotionally with the horror that he went through Mm -hmm. and how it's still affecting his day-to-day life as demonstrated in the show by his relationships, the note in his locker, the way he's bullied on Halloween, entirely separate from the Mind Flayers' interference. And the trailer forecasts that along with Mike's grief and the strain on Nancy and Stia's relationship. And it's I do think it's easy to sort of miss that, given how much else the trailer sketches out the plot and that all is not actually well and the adventure is not remotely over, like, which was what you were saying. But I do think that if you look at the trailer from that perspective, it actually is telling you Exactly. Because a lot of the the negative critique that came out that I'm referring to centered around this idea of, like, episodes one and two of season one get, I mean, they hit the ground running so fast. Yeah. And season two does have, is a bit of a slow start. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I actually think that works really well in its favor, which we will discuss Mm -hmm. as we go. But also there was a lot of, like but it's dealing with all this, like, stuff from, like, it's just, I don't know. And there's a surprise there. Like, why is this the way that it is? And it's like,
1: to me, the trailer tells you that. Right. You having a background in film and me having a background in literature is actually a really good thing because it's kind of wild to me that people think that the first few episodes are slow. I thought those episodes were, like, incredibly engaging because of the deep psychology Mm -hmm. that they go into. The conversations that I remember were talking about, like, how great it was and how refreshing it was that they didn't treat season two as a sort of clean slate and that they did go into that kind of deep character work. Like, I am all about characterization and, you know, the internal life of the character and and all of that. So, like, you will never lose me with that.
0: So all of that said, some of my predictions at the time from that trailer were that A, Nancy would be pregnant, B billy and max were both going to be villains and see that l would somehow get transformed through coming back out of the upside down that she might somehow end up being the demogorgon mm-hmm. because of course we didn't know that there'd be a mind flare yet yeah, yeah, yeah. but i was and still am so happy to have been so wrong <laughs> looking back i'm not sure why i thought that about l You know, many of the characters went in and out of the upside down by a variety of methods and in season one, and not once did anyone get changed. You know, Mm -hmm. I I remember not being surprised by the reveal that she was still alive in, you know, in the trailer. I think I was even kind of glad, like, cool. They just, they're not, you know, kind of like how they did with another trailer that dropped Mm -hmm. for season four. They were just like, yep, here it is. Speculate no more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, speculate about other stuff, but not about this particular question of this right. character being alive. You know, I, at the time I'd heard reports that, you know, Millie Bobby Brown had been recast and was returning as L by relatively reputable sources. I don't, I, I couldn't tell you which ones they were. I want to say like probably Nerdist and IGN mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I just remember being
1: like, "Oh, cool. She's back. Awesome. I remember us talking about the Nancy being pregnant theory. And oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I don't remember exactly what your reasoning was but I remember being like, yeah, maybe. I hope not. That's so messy. And they have so much other stuff that they're trying to deal with. It would really, really go a lot farther with the whole, like, you're punished for having sex, you're punished for not having sex thing. I was just like, can can we not? Can and then- we just not? And then they didn't. And it was great. It was the two two of the shots that we got of
0: Nancy in that in that trailer were the first one was her and steve in the alley Mm -hmm. or it's not it's not an alley it's they're outside the school and it's the shot just the glimpse of it when he's walking away from her he even like rips the towel off of his shoulder like in what looks like frustration Mm -hmm. so my brain went oh she just told him that she's pregnant Mm -hmm. but i'd forgotten that we talked about it Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah the trailer basically it just it works for me on every level and i wanted to highlight it before we move ahead because you know it serves almost as a thesis statement and i don't think that trailers always do that nor do i think they have to but i do think that this one really really
1: does and it does it beautifully I remember watching the trailer for the first time, and it was just, like, my eyes were just, like, glued to the screen. I was like, what is happening? I was, like, so hyped for it. And uh, I actually had to watch season two of Stranger Things really slowly because I was moving. So I had to do things like, okay, like, if you unpack X, Y, Z number of boxes, then you can watch an episode of Stranger Things. Nice. And uh, I was trying really, really hard to, A, to not binge it, but also to, like, watch it before all of my friends were already done with it and have to be like, no, we can't talk about it because I haven't watched it, you know, like watching the trailer again today. Like, yeah, this is a damn good trailer. And I really I kind of appreciate the way that you have teased out what makes it a good trailer. Trailers are basically it's short form storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. You have to condense
0: this entire piece of media down into three minutes. And so I even said when we watch this trailer, that's like a masterclass in editing. Hmm. So with all of that said, that's going to conclude our sort of pregame discussion of season two. And we will see you next time with our proper discussion of chapter two, Mad Max. Thank you for listening. Over and out.
1: bonus episode or something where yeah. I just sit there and put I know you yeah. don't like Legos but I was you can say, you can I sit will, and chill with me I will, I will film it how about that you can film it yep. and then you can sit next to me and talk to me and keep me company and, and Leg- say like <laughs> Leg- it's, <laughs> it's, it's okay it's okay Heidi it's okay yeah. Yeah. you have the directions for a reason